Thank you. Please be seated. One of my favorite children's stories actually is one about uh, a child trying to impress his father. And I don't know why it is, but children always want to impress their fathers, don't they? Or their parents in general. I was last weekend for a couple of days before Sunday uh, with my grandchildren uh, in Texas and watching them play soccer. And they're always, instead of playing soccer, looking to see if I'm watching them play soccer and if I'm impressed with uh, their activity on the soccer field, which, of course, what grandparent is not. And uh, somebody said, I didn't know this whole concept of grandparenting until I became a grandparent myself. And I am a very young grandparent. All of my grandchildren are 11 and under, so it makes me a fairly young grandparent, right? <clears throat> but anyway, so it's kind of interesting, you know, as, as we watch our children, you know, grow up, and now we're watching our grandchildren grow up, there's still this constant desire to please, to impress, to sort of make, you know, a statement to us where they, they, they make us go, wow, you did something really spectacular. And even though it's not really that spectacular to us, they want us to affirm that it's spectacular. And so as this father was coming home, as he usually does, he saw his son sitting on the front porch as he was pulling in the driveway. And, and as he got out of the car and made his way to the front door, to the porch, his son stood up and he said, Dad, Dad, watch this, watch this. I'm the greatest hitter that the baseball league has ever seen. I'm going to hit this ball over the neighbor's fence. And he tossed the ball in the air and he swung it with all his might and he missed. Strike one, he yelled with excitement. He picked the ball up and he said, Dad, Dad, watch this. I'm going to hit it over the neighbor's fence. And he threw the ball up there and he struck with all of his might and he missed a second swing. And he said, strike two. Now watch that. I'm going to hit the ball over the fence. Now you just watch. I'm going to hit it. He picked the ball up. He threw it up in the air. And he swung. And you guessed it. He missed it a third time. Strike three, he yelled. And then he proudly looked up at his dad and said, man, oh, man, and I, am I a great pitcher or what? <laughs> you know, I think when we try things and we fail, we have a tendency to redefine the definition of success don't we? In our best effort, giving it the best try that we possibly have, we know down deep that, that what we are facing or what we are attempting or what we are seeking to accomplish for God is beyond our capability, beyond the possibility that we have in and of ourselves that which is necessary to see the fulfillment of what we hope happens. And to be quite honest, if we are honest with ourselves and, and yes, even humble to the point of recognizing that all of us fail from time to time. No one in here has lived for Jesus 100% of the week, this time without any failure or without any weakness. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and wonder, where have you failed this week? But know that they're looking at you asking and wondering the same thing, where have you failed this week? And as a result of this thing called spiritual warfare, we find ourselves in a struggle with an enemy that, yes, is greater than we are by ourselves. And in this struggle, in this battle, in this combat, in this wrestling match, so to speak, we find ourselves without energy and without strength, and we find ourselves in the midst of temptations and struggles and trials and battles to from time to time, we give in to temptation, we fall weak to our knees, and we surrender to an enemy who seems overbearing and 
undefeatable. And what do we do when we look at our failure? And he, he keeps coming because he doesn't stop. And, and because he doesn't stop, we, we look at him and recognize our weakness and our frailties and our failures, and we come to a point of complete fatigue where we then finally acknowledge, I am not confident anymore in what I am facing. Have you ever felt incompetent or a lack of confidence in what you are facing? Whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever trouble, whatever temptation, whatever obstacle or whatever thing it is that you're battling, you look at it and in that analysis you come to the conclusion that I don't have what it takes to be able to overcome, to defeat, to destroy, or to stand against what is coming against me. I'm convinced that many Christians today lack confidence. In my prayers that I send on Sunday morning to uh, 40 plus pastors, and I pray for them, it takes me a little over an hour to do that every Sunday morning. That's why I get up at five, and my first hour is spent praying for these pastors, and, and, and I shoot them a, a, a prayer, and some of the pastors are our pastors. And so many of them are outside of here and other places that we support. And I got a text from one of the pastors today in, in response to my prayer. And he said simply this, I, I, I feel like a failure today. And I don't think anybody's coming to hear me preach. What's the point? Until I read your prayer this morning and God used that to encourage me and to stand where God has called me to stand and to do battle with the enemy where I am. And if pastors have a problem with this, and then, then why do we somehow think that all of us don't have a problem with this? You ever felt incompetent? Have you ever lacked confidence? And I think that's very much a reality with each and every one of us. I don't have what is necessary. I don't have what it takes. And that is the reason why I believe God equipped us with what the Apostle Paul says in divine revelation of the Holy Spirit of God, this spiritual armor that he's given us to wear. And the aspect of armor that I want us to talk about this morning is a very important armor. It is the armor of the gospel of peace. Yes, the gospel is a part of the armor that we wear. And he describes it very clearly in helping us understand that the gospel is something that we wrap around our feet to anchor us in our stand against the enemy so that we will not trip up, slip up, or slide into hypocrisy or sin. Or maybe even the lies of the devil. And how important are these gospel shoes that we are to wrap around our feet to anchor us on a foundation that is immovable and indestructible. For with these gospel shoes, we can stand in not self-confidence, but Christ-confidence. You have not been called to stand in your own confidence. You don't have what it takes 
You need someone outside of yourself to do for you what you cannot do on your own. And that's why through the gospel and the power of Christ, we have the confidence to stand because his confidence becomes our confidence as he engages through our obedience to stand against the enemy. What do we mean by Christ's confidence? Look at the definition there, if you would. It means an established reality that passed by all who accept the gospel call and by faith place their trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. It is the gospel. The gospel is simply good news for all believers. It's not only provides salvation and establishes a peaceful, intimate love relationship between us and God the Father, but it is a Christ-faithful obedience. Notice in Ephesians 2.12, that provides confidence through our faith in Him. Where does our confidence come? It comes from our faith in Him. It's in Him that we find our confidence of present and permanent access to God and all that we would ever need to battle against the enemy for the victory that is already ours in Christ. In the next definition on the screen, you'll see that he says that according to the riches of His glory, He will strengthen us with power through His Spirit. He will strengthen us with power through his spirit. I don't know about you, but that spells to me confidence. With power through his spirit in our inner being. For he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. There is a power that is at work within us that has received, that was received upon our salvation. It is the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in us who enables us to stand Christ confident against the enemy, not in my own confidence. And I think that's one of the reasons why many people have failed and they have weakened in their stand against the enemy is because they're standing not in Christ's confidence. And if we understood more fully what that means, and we don't really have time in the, okay, the 45 plus minutes that we're going to talk about this subject today to, to, to exhaust the subject and to help us understand what this fully means. I've studied multiple days today trying to nail this down and to sort of bring it down to a couple of insights that might at least help us gain a firm footing on this thing called Christ confidence. Notice it says in the last little verse there in Ephesians 6.10, now we, as we engage in spiritual warfare, are strong in the Lord and we fight in the strength of his mind. Christ, who is the center of the gospel. Christ is at the center of the gospel. And many times in Paul's writings, he exchanges Christ with the gospel. And when he talks about Christ, he's talking about the gospel. When he talks about the gospel, he's talking about Christ. Because Christ is at the center of the gospel. And without Christ in the gospel, it is not good news. And if Christ is ever absent from the gospel, it ceases to be good news because Christ is the gospel. But the gospel is Christ. And so I want us to take a look very quickly at what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians in the whole letter about the confidence that we have through him. So Christ's confidence comes from five places. Number one, from a strong stand. It comes from a strong stand. Now, when you received a gospel call and you responded by faith through grace in that gospel call, you were born of the Spirit of God, and He placed His Spirit in you. He 
He gave you new life from the old life to the new life, the Apostle Paul says in Revelation. Now you're standing in the new life on the righteousness, not of your own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ and his finished and complete work on the cross. And you are suited in that salvation with this beautiful armor called Christian armor. These elements that we've been talking about are things that we've received at salvation. We are clothed with them, and we are to keep them permanently on us for maximum and most effective use. It's kind of like when you came to faith in Christ, you changed teams. Um, You were not on God's team, and then when you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you came now on to Christ's team And as a team member with Christ, you put on his uniform, you put on his clothing, you put on his armor, you now wear his insignia, you are sealed with the Spirit, now you're clothed with with an armor, with a clothing that represents Christ, and you are now standing in opposition to another army, another opponent. You were on this side, and then you came to faith in Christ, and now you are on this side, and now you are robed or dressed in the team's colors, in the team's uniform, this armor, and you are now automatically, because of your relationship with Christ, in opposition to the enemy of self, sin, and Satan and the world. It's automatic. Now, how you stand in this new position that you have in Christ, is your responsibility. We've already talked about the fact, and we'll see in a minute, you can't lose this position that you have. You, you, you'll never switch teams again. Once you're on this team, you're permanently on this team. But how you stand, how you engage, how you battle is your responsibility. That's why he says to these Christians, stand therefore. In other words, be courageous. Don't cower. Stand strong against your opponent, the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and to devour you and your marriage and your family and your children and your witness and to discredit your walk as you seek to live for him. We have a responsibility. We have a choice. He says it in, in Romans, in Romans, in Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 613, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There's, a, there's an element of effort and responsibility that is, my, that is mine and mine alone. I have the confidence in Christ to stand, but I must choose Christ. I can choose sin, but I must choose Christ. Some of you don't, don't know it or not, but Tuesday morning I had oral surgery, and uh, I have three holes on this left side of my mouth today. Um, yeah. Uh, it still kind of reminds me from time to time that it's still there. And um, I extracted a tooth up here and a tooth down here, and then my last wisdom tooth is finally gone. So I, it, it's now, I have no wisdom. All my wisdom is gone. And so I have a big hole back here that I've been irrigating and all that for since Tuesday, and it still hurts right now. Uh, and I have two implants, one up or one lower, that he put into my jaw and then sewed up the, the gum around it. And I'm on some pretty strong antibiotics, so I can't be held responsible for anything I say today. 
And uh, I have a little cup of water down here because it makes me dry. Now, I had a choice today to wear this apparatus that they made for me that hides this tooth right here that's visible if I smile. So no close-ups today on the big screen. Zoom out a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. And if I smile, there's a big gaping hole here. And I had a choice to make today. Do I wear this thing that makes me sound like this all the time because I've got this dentist thing in my mouth? Or do I, because I want to look good? I know that's an impossibility, okay? Don't razz me later. Or look as good as I can. Or do I sound the way I need to sound to be able to communicate what needs to be communicated? That's a choice I had to make. Well, the heck with the beauty part because I have really no aspirations of looks or beauty or winning any contest. So that's kind of how it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I, I look in the mirror once a day when I comb my hair, and that's about it. Um, so if you see any spinach on my teeth, you'll know that I don't know it's there because I don't look in the mirror. So I had to make a choice. Looking good or sounding good. It's a choice I had to make. No one really can make that choice for me. Some can encourage me, and the dentist encouraged me to, to wear it because she was afraid that I would say, my teeth were done by her. Look what a beautiful job she did. That would be my recommendation. Get your teeth done where I did, and you can look like me. That was not a good, a good thing. So they gave me something to wear to hide the hole in my face. They didn't give me one down here, which is weird, but they're up here. But it's a choice, and I made a choice. The choice to live the new life, not the old life, is a choice I made at salvation. But it's a choice that I have a responsibility to continue to make, I think, post-salvation. I don't know about you, but I can live as carnally as anybody on the planet, and so can you. But I choose to take my stand to hear what I need to hear, to see the things I need to see, to think the thoughts I need to think, to feel the things I should feel, to go where I should go and become who he wants me to become because I have a responsibility to follow Christ as his disciple. And I don't care what the enemy's going to throw at me, I'm going to stand strong on the gospel of Christ. Unwavering. Non-compromising. And so should you. And our confidence comes from a choice to stand in Christ. Secondly, our confidence comes from a secure, from a sure or a secure salvation. A secure salvation. Why does, why does the, almost the three, the three pieces of armor that we've talked about so far, now the third today, always seem to come back to this whole concept of once saved, always saved? Why is that? Because with the gospel comes an enemy that says, you're not saved. And he causes doubt. And he whispers into our ear and into our hearts and into our minds things that are untrue, these lies. And how can I operate in Christ's confidence if I think I can lose that confidence ever in my life? Because once I am saved, I am always safe. His confidence is a permanent confidence that no matter how I live or fail to live, I don't lose it. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. 
Because I fail him regularly, don't you? And I need to know that I'm anchored in this secure confidence. Notice that he says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on. The concept here is that this gospel has been wrapped around our feet so tightly that they'll never get loose. Have you ever seen somebody on a basketball court and they've got a shoestring loose and they're about to lose their shoe and you think they're going to trip? That doesn't happen with the gospel. It's securely fastened on our feet. And, and the shoestrings don't come untied. And it secures us. The gospel secures my salvation. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. In this passage, this beautiful passage, in which he says in, in chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believe in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's not like insecurity to you. It's not like God's changing his mind or he's waffling or there's, there's a, a possibility of ever not being secure in him. In, in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy, I like mercy because he doesn't give me what I deserve, but because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. He didn't treat me as I deserve. Now grace, he gives me what I don't deserve. He does for me what I don't deserve. That's grace. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. Look at that. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad he's kind? And that you are a recipient of his immeasurable riches that come from the gospel call and your faith in Jesus. You are immeasurably rich. You didn't know you were rich, did you? Well, leave today. Tell everybody you're rich. In Christ. And your salvation is secure. And it's that security that we have in this battle against the enemy. As I fight for my witness, as I fight for my marriage, as I fight for my children's salvation and for their, their sanctification, as I wage war in, in my community to see souls saved, it's great to know that when I stumble and fall, that these shoes that have spikes on the end of them will not cause me to slip away and to lose what I have in Christ. I am secure. I can stand boldly, confidently knowing that I am his forevermore. Number three, I could talk more about that, but I need to move on. Christ's confidence comes from strong stand, a secure salvation, and a submissive spirit. A submissive spirit. Where do you get submission in this? Well, the Bible says in 6.15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the, the readiness given from the gospel of peace. Now, you may miss this word and because it really doesn't seem that significant here. Unless you study it the way I study it and you realize that God doesn't put a word like and in there just, just because he feels like it. Ever written a paper for school and you have to have so many words and you put in as many ands as you can because it helps you qualify, you know, the amount of words that you need. 
God doesn't do that with his word. Every word is significantly, strategically implanted in a verse for a reason. And that word and is huge because this word and is a conjunction that leaks what he has said before to what he says now. And is there intentionally, God is putting what he said before and what he's about to say, and he says, put on the shoes. In other words, he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to submit to my will and clothe yourself and remain clothed with this armor that I have given you. And it's easy for us if we don't submit to the will of God to not wear this on a permanent basis and to be robbed of its value and its power in our lives. For failure to use it out of ignorance, incompetence, laziness, apathy, or even rebellion is a lack of submission because readiness, preparedness, comes through submission, through obedience. That's what the word readiness in our text means. It simply means to be prepared. I am submitting to the armor, to the weaponry, to what God has made available to me in Christ, this, this confidence that I have in these beautiful shoes of the gospel of priests so I can be prepared for whatever the enemy throws at me. The gospel prepares me for whatever the enemy throws at me. You see, we have a tendency to think that once I place my faith and trust in Jesus, I, I've, got, I've received the gospel call, you know, the, the four spiritual laws or, or steps to peace with God or whatever faith or whatever. There's, there's all kinds of little, you know, gospel presentations that we used to tell people about Jesus and we lead them to a commitment to faith in Christ at the end and we assure them that once they've prayed, they're saved and we send them on their way. And a lot of times we have a tendency to think that's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. So I can be saved. The gospel is a lot more than that. The gospel continues to be effective in your life, not just at your salvation, but for the rest of your life. And every element and every doctrine and every teaching and every aspect about the gospel is so strategically important to you that it is necessary for you in its entirety to take a stand against whatever the enemy throws at you and the gospel is more than sufficient in and of itself Christ himself through the gospel is more than sufficient to give you the confidence and the power and the might that you need to overcome him there are two types of preparedness I think this readiness talks about a preparedness to show it it's important that I think that we show ourselves in this preparation that we are saved. It says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Submission is a part of preparation, and I've got to show my submissiveness to him through obedience. I am once saved, always saved, and my my relationship with him is eternally secure, but that doesn't give me the right to just make any choices I want and live in, in sin. It, 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 it's a submissive spirit to be prepared for whatever the enemy throws at me so that I can imitate Christ as a disciple of Jesus. I am to, 
to follow him. Notice Ephesians, you don't have it on your text, but let me just read Ephesians 2.5. It says, Paul says in another text, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, who the, even though, I'm sorry, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, submission reflects our likeness in Jesus because he submitted himself and died a death that he did not deserve for sins that he did not commit so that we might be saved. And he shows us the way to be imitators of Jesus in our submission to him, in walking the walk of a submissive disciple, seeking to imitate and emulate his activity because, you see, part of this this, 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 this gospel is not only to anchor us so that we can walk by faith and in righteousness and in godliness and to live a sanctified life, but it's to prepare us then for sharing the gospel. Because if these gospel shoes were only for, for taking a stand, that would be enough. But what about the great commission that he gave the disciples in Matthew 28? These shoes that the soldiers wore had spikes on them. They not only were to be used to, to take their stand as they were waging battle against the enemy so they would have a firm footing so they could stand strong, but it's so they could also march. And I believe the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had in mind also not just standing, but also going, also traveling, also journeying in a way in which you were going on different roads and different paths in which you could slip and you could fall. For Jesus in Isaiah 52 gives us his beautiful example of, of wearing these shoes. This is a beautiful prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus. Who, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Whom, who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. That's the good news. Good news of happiness. Who publish, publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Ephesians 2.17 almost says pretty much what Isaiah said. Paul, in divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What did Christ do? He came to preach a gospel of peace. And if we are to be imitators of Christ, we are to also, as we take our stand, preach and proclaim the gospel of peace, to share it. Paul says in 3.7, Ephesians, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. If you've been a recipient of God's grace, you by call have been called by God to be a minister of the gospel. A submissive spirit. I don't know about you, but I have a hard, hard time with that one. Because inside of me is this little me that likes to rise up all the time and grab the steering wheel. And a lot of times we're like that, that dad and that son who were in the car and they got in to go to the grocery store together to spend some time together and dad buckled up and the little boy buckled, he stood up, he was standing up in the seat. And dad put the key in and turned to this little fella and he said, before we can go, you've got to sit down and buckle up. He didn't move. He said, I, I, I told you, you've got to sit down and buckle up before I can start the car. He still didn't move. 
About the fourth warning, dad's patients were exhausted. He reaches between the seat and the legs and switches his legs out from underneath him. He sits in the seat and he buckles the boy before he can find time to, to revolt. And off they drive. And it wasn't a few minutes on the drive to the grocery store. The little boy looked up at his dad and he said, Dad? He said, Yes, son? He said, I'm standing up on the inside, Dad. There's something about submission, isn't there? You can't have Christ's confidence in self-confidence. And you've got to submit and put it on. Fourthly, supernatural source. Christ's confidence comes from a supernatural source. Ephesians 6.15, it's interesting, it says, given by the gospel of peace. Notice that this gospel is given. It's not taken, it's given. It's given to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You didn't pick it up when you wanted it. You didn't trust Christ when you decided to. You didn't wake up one day and say, well, I'm tired of living this life. I'm going to live a different life, and now I'm going to be a Christian. That didn't happen. It was given to you. This gospel was given by a gospel of peace. This life that you have was given by the gospel. You heard the gospel message being proclaimed. You received a gospel call, and you responded to that gospel, that good news. The good news about Jesus, that you can't save yourself, that the work that was necessary to make you in right relationship with God has been finished, it's been done. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life to die on a cross for sins that he didn't commit, to then be raised from the dead so that we could have victory over self, Satan, and sin and death. So we see it's a gospel. It's a gospel of good news. In verse 2, in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. The gift of God. 3, 6 in Ephesians says, The mystery, that is, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's this beautiful supernatural source that Paul talks about called the power of the gospel in the book of Romans. The gospel has incredible power to set you free. To be free who God intended for you to be. You know, we fell in Genesis 3 with Adam and then a part of the redemption, progressive plan of God, the New Testament, he provides a Savior. His name is Jesus. And this beautiful gospel message has the power, the supernatural power, a source beyond ourselves to bring new life when we answer the gospel call. It's a supernatural source. It's hard to explain to someone who hasn't experienced it, someone who doesn't understand it, isn't it? They look at us and think we're strange and we're odd and our beliefs are weird. 
But the Bible that we clench in our hands and the gospel that we proclaim is a supernatural source and his name is Jesus for he is at the center of every scripture, of every message and of the gospel of Christ and it is Jesus Christ who is that supernatural source who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and changes everything. And lastly, there's a sacred serenity. Serenity is an interesting word. It's stated being, it's a state, I'm sorry, can't even read my own writing. It's a state of being careful, but more than that, calm and peaceful. A state of being calm and peaceful. It comes from God. That's why it's sacred. It's holy. It's divine. And this peace that we have comes from the gospel. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, that's what our world needs today is peace. What's going to bring about that peace? Jesus. Only he can do that. Peace. There are two types of peace that I think are referenced not only by this word, but also in the book of Ephesians. There are two types of peace. There's a personal serenity that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in Ephesians 3, 11, 13, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. Don't lose heart. You have boldness and access with confidence. Where does our confidence come from? It comes through faith in him. We now have access to come boldly into the very throne room of God and relate to him. Why? Because we're no longer at enmity with him. There's no more strife. There's no more division. There's no more gap. There's no more sin. Now there's just Jesus. And he looks at us through the life, death, resurrection of Christ. And he sees us through this filter called Jesus. And we are welcomed into his presence. Why? Because our relationship with him is one of peace. Isn't it great to know that as we struggle and we seek to stand in a filthy, dark world, struggling with temptations and sin and weaknesses and frailties, falling on our faces, that our relationship with him is one of peace. For he now is a father that I can run to rather than run from. And know that I'm accepted. Not because of what I do, because of what he did. Because of what's been done in that final work. I have access to him. I have access to him. That, to me, helps define this beautiful thing called a relationship. And when I lack confidence, I run to him and I fall on my face in glorifying him. And I beseech this throne of grace who is merciful and gracious to me. And he bestows upon me and you that which is necessary in order to take our stand against the enemy. The reason why I think many of us are lacking confidence is because of a lack of prayer. 
We're not in, a, in an intimate fellowship and an intimate communion with him. Most Christians today pray maybe at the supper table or the breakfast table or the dinner table, but they don't pray more than a few minutes a day. Or maybe they pray throwing those help prayers up because they're in a jam or they're between that rock and that hard place and they need someone greater than themselves. And I'm not saying those prayers aren't effective and necessary, but where is the intimacy, the relationship? I don't, I don't think you can have confidence to face the enemy, to face whatever the enemy throws against your marriage, your children, your family, your witness, and our church. If we just casually, flippantly say we have a relationship with him through the gospel because I I once prayed a prayer, but I never, ever relate to him after that. I heard a preacher this weekend as I was listening to him. Actually, it was Aaron who was preaching in Vancouver talked about his wedding photos, you know, when he got married. And I remember being there. There was those pre-wedding photos, you know, of him and his, his future bride. And now his bride, we were there. And, and uh, he, he described this beautiful picture. And he would look at that picture. And it, would, and it still, he says, brings, it brings moments of, of, you know, joy and excitement and thrill and all that. And he looks at that. And he said, some people treat their relationship with Jesus like, like, like that photograph. They, they look at their marriage with Jesus, at their salvation, and they, they had a wedding day, but they never, there's no relationship after the wedding day. There's nothing. And, and I think sometimes we lack confidence because we, we walk down the aisle and we, we said the words and we committed our hearts and lives to Christ and accepted his work of salvation where he became our savior and we trusted him as the leader and the Lord of our lives, but we don't relate to him at all. We, we walk down the aisle and we just sort of walked away and we're, we wear the ring or we, we, we read the scriptures and we, we talk a big talk. We may even study doctrine and may, we may study our Sunday school lessons and we may even teach these lessons but we don't really walk with him on a day-to-day basis. There's no relationship. And so we need to understand the importance, I think, of this personal serenity of walking with him on a day-to-day basis in more than just, thank you, God, for the meal. Amen. Dig in. Let's go. And then lastly, there's a purposeful serenity described in Chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, notice he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which God has blessed us in the beloved. Again, in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12, skipping down a couple of verses, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In chapter 2, verse 10, I read earlier, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does all this have to do with a purposeful serenity? To be at peace with him in an intimate love relationship is fine and good until things go wrong in my life. And all of a sudden, I blame him for what's happened, and I somehow turn my back on God and walk away because I don't like what has either happened or I don't like what he's doing. Because, you see, his plan is not my plan, and his purposes are not my purposes. 
and his ways don't seem to be my ways, and I'm not really happy with what God's doing. And there's a peace here that comes by accepting God's plan and God's purpose, even when I may not like it, even when I'm uncomfortable, even when I'm outside of my, my comfort zone, even when I'm being pressed and, and put through trials and hardships and difficulties, I know that he has already foreknown what I am going through, and he has a plan and a purpose through this to glorify himself in what I am going through. So therefore, I just bow before him and I embrace whatever comes because I know that he is working all things for his good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's prepared beforehand, beforehand how we are to walk and where we are to walk and what we are to be involved in and what's coming our way. Do you think that God doesn't know what you're going to face tomorrow before you do? Has God ever surprised about anything? Does he not know not just the past, the present, and the future? God is, is not bound by space or time. He sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. And God is never surprised by anything. So when I go through a hardship or difficulty or trial or something that's uncomfortable or something that, that presses in on my faith, I don't lose my peace with God because I know in whom I have believed. And I'm okay with whatever he brings into my life. Because I know this must be what he intends to bring into my life for his glory. For his glory. I want to close with this interesting little funny tidbit. Some soldiers have been on a battlefield for weeks without change of clothes. They had grown tired of being nasty and dirty and were going about without, and, and griping about their need for a bath and for a change of clean clothes. The sergeant finally made an announcement. Men, I have some good news and some bad news straight from headquarters. First, the good news. Everyone will receive a change of socks today. Here's the bad news. Walters, you will change with Hanson. Hanson, you will change with Douglas. Douglas, you will change with Smith, and so on. You know, that little funny tidbit helps us realize that when we receive this beautiful exchange from God, we don't receive these filthy, dirty rags from someone else. We receive them from Jesus Christ himself, who wraps around our feet these beautiful, these beautiful elements, these beautiful benefits that come through the gospel of peace that are so tightly woven on our feet that we'll never slip and we'll never stumble and we'll never fall. So that in our battle against the enemy, we can stand not only strong, but confident. A confidence that comes from knowing that I, I am in him. And there's nothing that the enemy can do that can take that away. So the questions are, are you securely fastened with the gospel of peace? Are you securely fastened with the gospel of peace? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your personal savior and committed to follow him as the leader and the Lord of your life?
starts with a, with a gospel call. And we must place our faith and trust in Jesus, for by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Have you made that decision? Have you made that choice? Second question, if you have, what are you doing to securely fasten your family with the gospel of peace? The gospel needs to be an integral part of your marriage, of your parenting, of the lives of your children, and in the darkness of the world that we live in. And we must be responsible with taking the gospel of Christ, which is more than just steps to salvation, but have eternal significance in our lives for the rest of our lives as we live for him day by day. The gospel gives us confidence against an enemy like Satan. So what is the next step that you need to take today? Let's pray.